Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor of APJ. My guest today is Ben Martin-Henry, head of analytics Pacific at Real Capital Analytics. We are now approaching, obviously, the end of the year. Um, so there's a lot that's happened. You've seen the activity now. Can you uh, tell our listeners and readers what's happened in the capital market space? I, I can. Um, as, as always, I fear this is going to be full. It's going to give uh, more, more questions and answers because we are in a very yes. turbulent time at the moment, we have been for quite some time. So the numbers always need a lot of context because compared to last quarter, we are mm. down 25% more or less um, compared to Q3 2021. That does need a lot of context because right. 2021 was, as we know, an extraordinarily strong year. So numbers are always going to look a little bit a little bit sketchy um, when we compare them to, to, to mm. last year. In fact, the last couple of years have been very difficult as a researcher to, to do our standard uh, percentage changes. You know, 2020 numbers were down 500%, 2021 numbers are up 500%, 2022 numbers are down 300%. So it's kind of all over the shot. Um, but we are starting to see a little bit of a slowdown. It's, look, it's not wholly surprising considering the extent of the, the pressures that are obviously pervading the, the global and local economy, which is naturally going to be weighing on, on investors. But there are, I mean, there are some positives. Yes, we are very much down on last year. But comparing mm. kind of Q3 to sort of 2017, 2021 averages, we're actually about 10% up on, um, on those averages. Okay. And for the year to date, we're pretty much 25% up on those averages as well. So, I mean, it is a bit of a mixed bag, but to be honest, I do think we are in the midst of a bit of a slowdown. Um, and I think it's only going to get um, a little bit worse in, in Q4, looking at some of the numbers we have, we have now. So we're in for more turbulence, I, I feel, but that of course creates risks and opportunities for, for investors. Right, and obviously, uh, when we're looking at factors that's contributing to it, we've got plenty, uh, uh, you know, in front of mm. us. We've got inflation, um, rising uh, interest rates, um, remaining, uh, 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 sorry, supply chain issues remaining. Um, what other factors are impacting investors uh, and their decision making? I think you've kind of hit most of them there and they all have various impacts. Mm -hmm. And obviously the rising inflation um, will hit construction. Cost of construction is going, right. going through the roof, of course. So that's one issue that, that's impacting investors. Rising interest rates means cost of debt is going up. So um, we're seeing this really hit home in the smaller end of town. Those smaller smaller investors, they don't have the, the sort of unlimited pools of capital that they can turn to. Um, if one of their providers uh, increases their cost of debt too much, then they don't have that many alternatives to turn to. So what we see there mm -hmm. is that they then start to walk away from deals. We've kind of seen that in our numbers. That the, the number of smaller deals are really starting to decline quite considerably. It's really those big deals that are driving the market, so to speak, even though the market isn't exactly being driven hard. It is what's keeping the, the market ticking along with those larger, larger deals. And then there's all of this has, it leads to uncertainty. And investors don't like uncertainty. If we know, if investors know exactly what's going to happen, if we know things are going to settle down and we know things are going to, you know, uh, continue to be turbulent, then they're a bit more comfortable in making investment decisions. Mm -hmm. But there's just so much uncertainty pervading the market at the moment that it's kind of giving investors a bit of a bit of pause for thought. Um, and it's, it, as a result, we're starting to see 
levels slow down. But of course, the other thing is in these types of um, situations, we tend, to, we tend to see that the expectations between buyer and sellers, that gap starts to widen. So whereas last mm. year we had a lot of um, a lot of sellers pushing for, a lot of buyers were kind of happy to, not necessarily happy to pay more, but they kind of expected to pay more because it's such a hot, hot, such a hot market last year. Was this year this complete reversal? Mm. Now saying, look, the market's slowing down. We're not willing to pay as much. So as that gap widens, fuel transactions uh, take place, which is kind of what we're seeing at the moment. Certainly, the um, in the in the sort of looking at Australia in the context or in the global market altogether, there's continued talk of um, you know potential global recession, uh, particularly in the UK, um, mm. and I think. And we saw just recently the U.S. Fed Reserve increased it by a bumper, I think, 75 basis points, which was yeah. huge. Mm. Mm. Um, so obviously these things will continue to factor in and play into investors' minds when you talk about uncertainty. Um, but now I want to look at what you, you said, you know, the, the smaller deals has kind of, have kind of dried up and the big deals are now driving the market. Who were the top buyers and, and, and sellers in the market? Um, again, it's a bit of a bit of a mixed bag. We're seeing some of mm-hmm. the top sellers are also top buyers, which I mean, the, right. our, largest, okay. our, our largest investors are always kind of you know the China Horsey, Blackstones, and GICs. They tend to recycle capital a lot, so GIC and Blackstone, I think, number one and number two buyers, and number one, number two sellers, which is kind of what you'd expect. That's just the way they yeah. operate. I guess we're rejigging their portfolios <laughs> yeah precisely and they do that constantly because they're so large whenever they rejig their portfolios mm. they naturally come up on the top sort of couple list but i think an interesting story mm. that we are starting to see on the seller side is that we're seeing a lot of reits dispose of assets now considering reits have sort of mandates they have to hit with regards to um, debt debt levels they have to maintain certain right. lbrs you know be it under 40 percent or whatever to same various indices um, because the cost of debt has, of course, increased so much, those LBRs are being stretched, which means that they're going to have to start to sell down some assets in order to um, keep those debt levels low. So we're actually seeing into mm. the top 10, a lot of the, the REITs are in there, like Dexus, Stockies, Mervac, et cetera. So we're starting to see mm. a little bit of uh, recycling of capital in order to alleviate pressure on those debt levels. So it's kind of an interesting time at the moment where the market is generally getting slower and people are... Um, there is that big gap between buyer and seller expectations, but we are starting to see that some sellers are having to are having to sell asset in order to assets in order to raise capital. So again, like I said before, these kinds of turbulent times, there's always risks and always opportunities, and we're certainly starting to see that play out. That is interesting. Uh, the, the 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 fact that um, yeah, I suppose because interest rates have been so low for. God, um, if we're thinking about, you know, pre-COVID, it's two years-ish at 0.1% that setting. So yeah. they haven't considered the LVR much. It hasn't played into the consideration. But now, um, as the cost of debt rises, as you pointed out, they might need to turn to asset recycling to um, to reduce that debt level. Um, yeah, yeah, precisely, quite, yeah. Mm. Um, and I want to now look at the different sectors. Um, obviously, you know, when you and I first talked uh, earlier this year, it was all industrial, industrial, industrial. <laughs> but that's now changed. Um, it, uh, but Somewhat, offices yeah. now have come back. Mm. Um, and, and then you've got, you know, retail as well and, and, and all the other sectors such as, um, you know, 
the pubs, hotels, development sites. So how are the different sectors uh, performing? Um, but well, let's look at core first, uh, for example. Yeah, a, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I guess mm-hmm. for the second quarter in a row, industrial has recorded the, I suppose, the steepest transaction volume declines of any of the core sectors compared to 12 months ago. But again, it's hard to compare to last yeah. year because it was an astonishingly rec- uh, record year. In terms of overall volumes, le- volume levels for industrial, the Q3 is around $3.2, billion worth of industrial sales, which is still pretty good. And year-to-date mm. figures for industrial were looking at $15 billion. Now, up until 2020, 2020 was a record year at sort of around 15 billion. So the fact we've already done 15 billion again speaks to the the high demand that industrial is is getting at the moment. But it's slowing. It's definitely slowing compared mm. to last year. And they, again, that kind of makes sense because we've had such strong years um, for industrial. There's there's just not that there aren't unlimited amounts of industrial assets for sale. Um, and we can really right. see that in the uh, the number of portfolio deals that are transacting. So for the first three quarters in 2021, there are around 27 portfolio deals, but over the same period yes. this year, it was about nine. So that's uh, you know, right. that's uh, only a third. So that's really what's starting to drive the the industrial space. So again, it's not because necessarily investors don't want industrials, it's because there's not a lot out there. And of course, pricing really mm. has really did peak for industrial. So we're starting to... So investors kind of have a little bit, again, a little bit of a pause. Like, you know, I'm I'm not paying too much for these assets. So we're starting to see that that little bit of a slowdown. But on the flip side, offices. I mean, look, despite this this constant, persistent debate about the future of the office sector, investors have yes. been relatively active in the market. And um, year to date, offices are actually up on um, on last year, only a little bit, sitting around twenty, uh, about around twenty billion. It's up a couple of percentage points compared to last year. But the fact is that it has reversed right. that downward trend. So we are definitely seeing that investors are happy to invest in in, in the office sector, um, and we're seeing pricing levels are you know kind of sit around what they have been. So a lot of things are trading at book value. So um, we're not seeing investors shy away from that office space uh, much at, at the moment. Is that also because there's more offer uh, office offerings? Uh, on the market as well, um, because I, I, you know, I suppose when we talk about asset recycling, there has been those players. There have mm. been those players that are selling offices and then moving into industrial as well. So that has presented opportunities for investors. And in in and again in industrial, I'm, I, I just want to sort of look at where which markets were performing. We obviously know Sydney and Melbourne uh, and Brisbane. Investors want to sink their money in there. That's what they want to get into. But what about the other capital cities? Are they seeing as uh, activity as well in their industrial markets? Um, they are the strongest markets. Always going to be Sydney, Sydney and Melbourne, of course. And Brisbane's had a you know mm-hmm. again compared to last year, everything's down, but there's still healthy levels of of, of investment. Perth and Adelaide, I suppose, looking at other capital cities, there's a little bit, probably a tick under a billion for each of those markets. Again, well down on, on last year, but still activity right. in that space. It's, mm. it's just there's been so much activity in the industrial space that it had to slow down at some point. It was always going to happen. There's Again, there's just not enough assets out there to um, to, to accommodate mm. um, such high levels of, of, of uh, investment. And like I will say, in 2020, we had a record year for industrial and 2021 doubled that record year. So that's a lot of industrial assets to, to to transact. So it was always it was always going to slow down, and it has been a universal slowdown, really, which again kind of makes sense. I think on paper Melbourne mm. looks like it's had the worst slowdown, but 
probably mostly driven by the fact that the majority of those milestone assets that sold last year, uh, they were in and around the mm. Melbourne, Melbourne market. So it was understandably Melbourne's going to look like it's had a, had a much uh, poorer year compared to, say, Sydney. Um, but you're still looking mm. at over $4 billion worth of industrial transactions, which is nothing to, uh, nothing to um, turn your nose up at. No. <laughs> and that comes to the point, isn't it, that it, it's probably got to do with the lack of, uh, uh, available, lack of available stock um, rather than, um, you know, decline in demand or, or waning demand for in, industrial assets that's contributing to this. Yeah, I, I do suspect there's a bit mm. of a pricing thing as well because, again, cost of debt has mm. gone up and, and I'm pretty sure industrial pricing has peaked, which means that we have started to see some bit of changing in trends for industrial, one of which is that Sydney industrial yields um, actually expanded in Q3. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it's not. Talk us what's happened there. Absolutely. So I mean, it's not. The, the magnitude is. Frankly, it's quite. It's irrelevant. It's it's minimal. The magnitude. Mm. Um, it's more the fact that it reverses a trend that's been going on for six whole years of yield compression. Yeah. So the last was it twenty four quarters. Let's make it sound dramatic. Last twenty four quarters, we've seen consistent yield <laughs> compression in the Sydney industrial market. But in Q three this year, we saw yield expansion. Again, the magnitude is irrelevant. It's the fact that it completely has reversed that trend. Uh, which is a which is mm. a big change, um, and again, I suspect it's because that that gap between buy and sell expectations is widening now, and investors aren't willing to pay what they did sort of six months ago from the industrial sector, considering that cost of debt has gone up, it's going to go up for everybody, mm. and there's a few other you know there's a few other issues at, at play for the industrial sector. I think with um, with rising interest rates and rising inflation, it means that people's disposable income has naturally declined um, quite severely in some cases. And what has really driven the industrial market over the last few years, of course, is that e-commerce market. And most of us yes. buy discretionary goods. That last online. mile logistics, yeah. Yeah, mm. exactly. And as that starts to dry up, there's going to be less demand for, for industrial space, which is obviously going to, as we all know, everything comes back to a supply and demand um, balance. Um, that's what really drives prices. So demand is, is obviously slowing for, for industrial assets. So we're going to see some price changes. Real Capital Analytics is the authority on property deals, the players and the trends that drive the commercial real estate investment markets. Having recorded over $20 trillion of commercial transactions, data is at the forefront of RCA's business. It is, when you talk about that inflation and and consumer confidence, it's quite um, interesting, I suppose. That's the word I can only find. I don't know whether I should use weird. Um, (laughs) But I was looking at the ANZ Roy Morgan Consumer Confidence Data Index, Mm. sorry, that was out, and consumer confidence has actually picked back up again. And um, I just, and then, of course, we've got the wages uh, wages index that uh, was released by the ABS, which has increased. So that's going to put more pressure on the the Reserve Bank. So it seems like there's this thing where... um, yeah, consumers are still spending. Um, now, whether yeah. that translates to online or they're spending on restaurants or cafes, or it's really hard to tell. But the consumer confidence is just baffling me right now. Um, I I agree. It's all. It's I I can only describe these times as turbulent because <laughs> turbulent means turbulent means up and down, left and right. You just get bounced all over the place, and that seems to be what's happening at the moment. It's, and yes. it's just everything is just 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 moving, um, and I think. It's it's not just impacting Australia, of course. It is, it is impacting the globe, 
Mm. It also feels like it can change so incredibly quickly as well. Mm. If this whole Russia-Ukraine war atrocities going over there, if that suddenly stops, Mm. that's a quick change. Mm. A lot of investor confidence will come back into the market. A lot of food supply chain issues will get solved straight away with that. China looks like they're they're being far more receptive to to the to the rest of the world again. Um, mm. I think our prime minister had a little a chat with um, Mr. Xi Jinping uh, the other day again. So that shows a, a warming of relations. Yes, and we we do know that the Chinese COVID policy has been a real uh, dampener on supply chains. So yes, again, it once has if been. that gets sorted out and suddenly China opens themselves up again, again can turn very very quickly and bring back that confidence and open those supply chains which will impact inflation and we'll start to see inflation turn very quickly as well. So there's so many things going on at the moment that is mm. why I describe everything as turbulent, but some of them feel like they can change very, very quickly and instill more confidence back into, back into the sector. And that may be, I don't know, that may be what people, the general public's reading of it is as well. So look, these things will sort themselves out quite quickly. So we're fine. So confidence mm. is high. It could be, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is. I, I, as I said, everything's baffling me right now. I, I, I'm just reading data from overseas and then thinking, I, you know, pre-COVID used to be able to sort of um, analyze it and, and and think about, oh, okay, where this is headed. But right now, I just I don't know. <laughs> That's my answer. Um, now, I, I want to look at the office sector. You said, you know, we've, and this is the sector that we've talked about for two years. Oh, you know, the, there's debate going all over the place about, you know, the future of it. Um, now, you, we've seen demand pick up again. But what is the sort of uh, activity within the office sector, CBD versus metro or suburban office? You know, what, do, what does... Which ones were the best performers in terms of, um, you know, transactions and investors' demand? Yeah, it's it's kind of I'm I'm on the view these days that we're starting to see a bit more of a normalisation in the property market. And that's we're mm-hmm. seeing overall volumes come back to more long term levels. And uh, CBD offices and suburban offices, they're a great example of this. During as a result of COVID, we saw a massive increase in the uh, investor appetite for those suburban offices, thinking that people are going to work more from more remote locations or more suburban locations. So they piled into the suburban office sector, mm. heaps of activity in that space. And everyone was pulling out of the CBD. It's like, oh, God, would, no one's ever going to go back to work again. No one's ever going to go into the CBD again. So let's get rid of some of those office assets. And now that's flips. We're starting to come back to, again, more normal levels. Um, so suburban offices, I, I guess, volumes for the first sort of part of the year, first nine months of the year, they're obviously very much down on, on 2021, but they're still, mm-hmm. they're still relatively strong compared to five-year averages. Um, so whilst they have come down quite a, quite a lot compared to last year, again, we're still above long-term averages. Um, where CBD offices, again, they were they were quite low last year, but they really have come back with a vengeance this year. Particularly in Sydney, Sydney offices are actually booming. Yes, um, it's probably it's. I mean, Sydney office is always the number one market in in Australia. It just is. It has so much domestic appetite and so much offshore appetite. Um, so it's always the the the, the largest market. Um, but we're we're seeing numbers up around 20, 25% compared to last year. And last year wasn't exactly a terrible year for the office market, and not certainly not the Sydney office Sydney office market. Um so the fact that we're about 20% above last year's numbers is quite is quite impressive. And again, it just speaks to that faith that investors have in the long-term future of, of the office sector. 
um, that they're happy to continue to pile money into some of these big assets. Having said that, we are starting to see yields change a little bit. We're starting to see a little bit of yield uh, pricing softening, which is, again, no real surprise. It's, we're going to see that across all sectors at some stage because that cost of debt has increased so much. Um, so, again, the, the the margin of increase, is it's tiny, it's it's not particularly it's not particularly relevant it's more that reversing of, of long-term trends um so i think it's we had six consecutive quarters of yield compression um, wow okay. post-covid mm. but that's now changed now we don't mm-hmm. have that and i suppose if you want to i suppose if we can throw some negativity here why not um if we ignore that little blip for sydney office yields blowing out or sorry increasing in uh, in 2020 because of covid mm-hmm. we ignore that conveniently ignore that it's the first time we've seen sydney office yields expand since the GFC, so that's a long time as well. Mm. So again, it speaks to that. What's changed since the GFC? Interest rates have gone up quite yes. significantly. So I suspect we're going to see this for the next twelve months or so. We're going to start to see some pricing changes. None of this price correction stuff that, that people are you know, making outlandish statements. I don't think we're going to see any kind of correction in these things. But we are going to see um, yields push up, particularly if the cost of debt stays high. Um, I was looking at some numbers yesterday and whether or not you subscribe to the whole theory about the relationship between bonds and, and property yields. Yes. Um, if you do, if you do, then this is a scary number for you. The the spread between corporate bonds, sorry, the spread between the 10-year bond rate and industrial yields, for example, mm. over the last five years, it's averaged 340 bips. Well, yes. guess what it is at the moment? It's 25 uh, um, bips. Jeez. <laughs> so that is... That is wow. a tiny, tiny spread. So I have no doubt we're going to start to see some industrial repricing. Right, the office yeah. spreads probably around uh, tick under 100 bips, probably around 90 bips. And again, long-term averages, you're talking 350, 360 bips. So wow. we are really, really tight. Um, and again, that relationship, it's always, it's always debated. You know, Everyone yes, always it has is. an opinion on it. Yes. It's, it's a constant Depends argument that which... people have, and that's – Analysts school you of thought to. you believe yeah <laughs> yes. yeah completely. I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a true believer in that in that theory but i mm. do know very for a fact that bond rates and interest rates are very heavily linked and given mm. what's going on with interest rates at the moment it's of no surprise that this this spread has narrowed so much because property yields have not re- been repriced or property has not been repriced so right. no doubt we're going to see start to see some pricing changes um and that we'll start to see yields push up because of what's driving it is that cost of debt yeah, and now we want to look at the other core market, the retail. Um, poor retail, <laughs> it's just struggled over the last few years. Um, it's bounced uh, around, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster ride. Um, it is. What's it happening is. For, for in that space for sub regionals, regionals, you know, CBDs, uh, neighborhoods, well, which are the performing good. markets? Hmm. <laughs> not a lot of good at the moment. Retail yeah. is just is a very definition of turbulence. You know, it had terrible 2020, had a yes. terrific 2021, and we're moving into a terrible 2022. Mm-hmm. Even some of the best performing um, retail assets of the past few years, like neighbourhoods, we're seeing pretty strong yield expansion. Um, regional shopping centres, again, yield expansion. Subbies, yield expansion. Mm-hmm. Overall, yield expansion. So we are starting to see those pricing numbers change quite significantly for, for retail. I guess there is a couple of a couple of um a couple of positives to sector big box so just Bunnings basic in Australia. I think every other day we read something about a Bunnings trading. It's a three and a half percent yield, which is yes. you know, pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a Bunnings. 
And we're seeing a lot of Bunnings development too. Well, you know what? I go to Bunnings every day of the week, so that's probably. Oh, all yeah. I just I just bought a place and it's brand new, and yet I still seem to spend every day in Bunnings. So Me like, too. It's it's just, yeah, so I can I understand Bunnings why. Is killing it. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, killing it. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so we've seen strong price growth in that space, and large format retail is still doing pretty well as well. So we're seeing um we're seeing uh, yield compression there, and interestingly, city centre retail has also seen some strong price growth. Right. I suspect that's mostly because it became off, it came off such a low base because that really right. did take bear the brunt of, of of COVID lockdowns, of course. So um, the relative value there was terrific for for city centre retail. So naturally, as investors start to get back into that space, looking for those cheap deals, they're probably going to have to pay a little bit above book value, whatever that book value is, even though it's down twenty odd percent from a few years mm-hmm. ago. They are going to have to pay a little bit more. Um, to secure the asset. So naturally, we are starting to see a little bit of yield compression in that space. But I can't imagine it's going to last too much longer, um, mm. considering what's going on. And again, the elephant in the room is always cost of debt. What's going to happen to it? What's, you know, are we going to see more rate rises? Um, I think the only saving grace for for, well, for homeowners and possibly possibly commercial investors is that once we get to a certain level, call it 3.1% or whatever, right. we might start yeah. to see more competition between lenders. Which means mm. it will start to we we might start to see. I mean, mortgages between the big four banks might come up with new products for mortgages where it's actually below um, the, each other. They're not going to pass on or not going to fully pass on the rate rises. Um, and we might see that in the alternative lending space as well, where we just get a bit more competition, which leads to a bit more a bit more aggressive pricing, which may slow this this whole price rise, this whole price decrease down. Again. Lots of questions, not a lot of answers at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it, it is quite interesting. I, I looked at um, Centre Group's uh, latest updates, September quarterly updates, uh, figures that they've published, um, and the numbers are up, the visitation numbers are up for their shopping centres. Um, so it, I guess post-lockdown, everyone just wants to keep going out. I, we, we are still yeah. in that sense. Um, but it is quite interesting, um, I suppose, when you look at the these major shopping centres, I, I think they have created a destination for people, perhaps, and that's why yeah. they're performing better. Um, mm, no, I, now, I agree. And, of course, mm, we're coming up to Christmas too, so we're going to see patronage mm. increase a fair bit and people are going to spend by buy presents for each other in some cases they may not have seen you know a lot of people wouldn't have spent christmas together for quite some time because of you know, various lockdowns so mm. i wouldn't expect i wouldn't be surprised to see patronage really boom over the next few weeks at um at shopping centers yeah actually we've got black friday sale coming up mind you when this podcast is released probably will we'll be past that by then but they said now black friday is the sort of bigger sale uh, you know yes pre-Christmas now um, and they expect mm. a lot of people to be doing their shopping early. So that will be an indicator sure. for us whether consumers are still opening their wallets to spend. Yeah, absolutely. I mm. mean, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? The, the yeah. government wants, or the RBA wants us to stop spending to keep inflation <laughs> down, but yet people are just ignoring it. It's like, well, I think we've all had enough of, of Philip Lowe after his, his telling us to go out and buy houses because <laughs> he's not going to move rates. I think everyone's a bit sick of being told what to do by him. So we're just yes. him. So we're like, okay, we're going out. We're going to buy new clothes and shoes and, <laughs> and restaurant spending. Um, now, I, I want to look at apartments, which when I looked at your report, there was a surge of, you know, 548%, which is tremendous. Um, so Yeah, we're uh, coming up from a very low base, though. Right. Uh, yeah, like I said, percentage changes are very difficult in my world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> um, they're so, they're, they're so strong, 
in some spaces. Mm. Look, it's mostly driven by some investment in student accommodation, a little bit of investment in student accommodation, really. Um, mm. The volumes are extremely, extremely low. Um, but we are starting to see a bit more activity in that space. Again, you know, students coming back to the country, so we're opening up a bit more. Mm. Um, and again, I suspect that relative value is pretty good for those for those assets. So we're getting a bit more investor investor appetite. Um, and that's that's happening across all those alternative sectors. Really, we're just seeing continued um, continued uh, investment, and it's the alternatives that are actually outperforming the core sectors. At the right. Okay. Interesting. So yeah. Volumes. Yeah. Volumes for Q3 are up twenty percent compared to last year, and last okay. year was a pretty big year already. And interestingly, um, as I've been saying for quite some time now, it's that institutional investors they they really started to get back into that small, sorry, get into that alternative space, and they actually tripled their allocation to these sectors compared to to last year, which again was a was a pretty good year. And I'm sure I read this morning. I could be wrong. It may have been one of your Articles that um, there's going to be a big childcare portfolio put on the market. Yes, yes. Which I hope is true because I've been saying for the last two years that's how we're going to see growth in this sector is uh, we start to see some portfolio deals floated in that childcare space. And I'm almost guaranteed it's going to be a big institutional player that buys that. Real Capital Analytics is the authority on property deals, the players, and the trends that drive the commercial real estate investment markets. Having recorded over $20 trillion of commercial transactions, data is at the forefront of RCA's business. And we've now seen a number of our hospital portfolios being put up to or sort of uh, being put together. I think Ampol has now decided to sell some of or uh, uh, over, I forgot now, a hundred equivalent of 100,000 square metres um, in, in land area for all the some of the petrol stations across Oz Australia, so the mm. alternative space, um, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, and I have haven't seen much else for pubs lately though, which is funny because I think when you and I talked about early this year, all I kept saying was there were so many pub deals. Um, we've seen it now slightly dry up. <laughs> I'm using that joke again. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> you weren't impressed last right. time. I, but, yeah, mm. it's, no, nothing's changed. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's, it is a, it's a funny one, isn't it? There's, there's so much activity. It almost feels like I haven't heard if anybody has bought the Oaks yet in Military Road in Sydney, which was rumored to be going for sort of 175, 185 million. Mm. That, Similar to what we saw at the start of 2021 when industrial deals were quite low, it's be, I suspect it was because so many investors were looking at milestone, that milestone portfolio, yes. that they pause on everything else to focus on that. It almost, to me, I could be wrong, but again, it almost feels to me that so many people are focused on, on that asset mm. that the other other deals are drying mm-hmm. up. Um, there still are there's still are pub, uh, pub transactions. Mm. There's just, um, there doesn't seem to be as many high-profile ones as we have seen. Um, the first part of the year, but again, I, it could also be just because there's, um, there's a, uh, investors are a bit distracted, or just they're taking a little bit longer to to work through DD because of that increase in, in in cost of debt. But there have been some pretty large ones, particularly up in sort of regional areas like Port, Port Macquarie, yes. where we saw um, uh, Port Macquarie Hotel, for example, sold for about fifty seven million, and then just down the road from that, um, Laundy and Flower they picked up. The attacking point tavern again for around that forty-seven, fifty million dollar mark. So, there's still there's some pretty, pretty hefty investment going on in that in that space, though. Just unlike last year, we don't have a one point five billion dollar portfolio that uh, the trade. Yes, that's true. That's true. What's happening um, in seniors and age 
uh, and you know seniors in retirement living, I should say, and and other sectors such as uh, development sites as well. Um, again, we're seeing an increase in investment in that senior housing and care mm -hmm. space. It's a it's a space that I suspect is just simply going to grow over the next decade or so. We always need we always need more healthcare. We always need more senior housing. It's kind of one of those things. Like we we, we always need more residential. We always need more healthcare. Mm. Um, this care basket really is it's an enormous basket and does cover senior housing as well. So naturally, we're going to start to see investors get get back into that space too. Um, I don't. I, I guess we don't really consider senior housing core sector down in Australia. Mm -hmm. But it certainly is a core sector across the rest of of the world, um, so I've no doubt that'll 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 change down here as well as we start to see far more institutional investment into that space. And like like you mentioned, we certainly have seen a big increase this year. Again, starting off a low base, and we have some of these crazy numbers now, three hundred percent increase. Yes. Um, but at the moment, that's that only really translates to sort of a billion and billion and a half dollars. So it does come from a, from a very low base. But you got to start somewhere. That's how these sectors start. It starts small and then they just grow and grow and grow. That's for sure. Look at um, childcare centres. It's now huge. <laughs> um, now, what about development cool. sites? We've uh, yeah, um, seen challenges in that space. Yeah. We have. We're seeing a bit of a mix in, in that mm. space. Um, we, I think it's because the main market's looking at Sydney and Melbourne. So Melbourne site prices, development site costs like per square meter, that's gone up around 40% compared to the end of 2019. Wow. Um, and similar for Sydney, we're seeing site prices go up around 30% compared to uh, 2019. So uh, development is tricky. And of course, the other thing is, I mean, you can buy it now, but it's going to be pretty hard to build yes. on it because construction supply chains are so so tight. Um, and until that gets sorted out, it's very expensive to, to, to build which is why we've seen construction starts really, really slow down this mm. year. And not just in resi, but in the other in the commercial commercial space as well. Um, and until, of course, we get, well, I know we have, we are opening up immigration again and the government's targeting, what is it, 250 or 350,000 people yes. a year coming into the country. Until they come in, there's going to be a shortage of labour as well. Um, so it's pretty hard to, to actually build anything. So I'm not surprised that we start, we have seen a bit of a slowdown in that. Uh, the number of uh, development sites actually transact. The I, I think when you were talking about the the you know the challenges in that sector, you know, it's great that you can get a site, but then to start a project, that's another matter. I, I did a podcast mm. with um, Damien Collins, and he said that in Perth, basically all the concrete is going towards the state government infrastructure projects right now. So developers yeah, are having to compete <laughs> with state governments for those, uh, for those yeah. concrete for their, for their buildings. So yeah, yeah it, it, the challenges are certainly their labor shortages, material shortages, supply chains, et cetera. So we're just all waiting for China to <laughs> open up so things can, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But, it looks like things are settling down. Again, you never know. These things change so quickly, but it does look mm. like there's a bit of a thawing of relationships, so to mm. speak, between us and China in particular, but also China and the rest of the but world, certainly, which will hopefully mean opening trade. Certainly, if you're looking at, I suppose, with you know projects and, and the supply side of things, we are severely under supplied um we're for, you know daily we're just I, in apg we're just running about the rental crisis the housing crisis there's just not enough housing yeah. um for, to, to, for people so there is demand but at the same time then bringing supply on board you know it's not an instant snap of the finger or turn on the lights and boom you've got a hundred thousand houses built or, or no. apartments built takes mm. time yeah so 
takes a lot of time. So it's 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 a difficult like I said, things like healthcare and residential were always undersupplied, mm. both of those. Mm. Um, which I guess is why we're seeing a lot of activity in, in the built to rent space. Yes. Um, we're seeing a lot of lot of projects kick off. And they are mostly in Melbourne. Um, and you could argue that you probably need more in Sydney than Melbourne because I think you're Sydney looking at rentals. any affordability index mm. across the world, yeah. And Sydney's one of the least affordable markets. But the problem is Sydney is so much more expensive to make these make these things work. Mm. And just looking at um, development site prices, uh, Melbourne sites are around 40% cheaper than those of Sydney, mm-hmm. which I guess is why we've seen that around more than, 50, more than half, over half the developments that broke grounds since 2020 in the built-to-rent sector have been in that Melbourne market because it's just easier to, to get them to stack up. So we are going to see a significant increase in the number of built-to-rent assets over the next few years, which is going to help with that, that housing prices. Mm. We're still only talking to the 7,000, so it's really a drop in the ocean to what we yes. need. Um, absolutely. But it's good to see that we start, we are starting to um, see a lot more activity in the, in the built-to-rent space. And that, that momentum really is is going up and I'm certainly calling it that we should stop referring to built rent as a nascent sector now. <laughs> I think we should just, I think we, with the time, times have changed. I mean, I was one of the first to use that term seven years ago and would say covering built rent. Yes. Like now the times have changed and let's, let's start to give it a bit more of a boost and call it emerging. Emerging. Maybe, I was going to suggest um, that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I think, I think fledgling, which is another word for nascent. I think it's a bit, I think we've passed that and I think we're starting to see um, a lot of, a lot of activity and who knows with over three and a half thousand, um, built-to-rent units supposed to uh, open this year, 2022, maybe the turning mm-hmm. point for the, for the sector. Mm. Well, I, we've seen just in recent times the global players like Greystar and I think Heinz and the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund mm. announced yep. a partnership. So there's certainly, despite, um, you know, the continued resistance from the federal government and Treasury to change, meet the managed investment uh, tax, um, withholding tax, sorry, mm. um, invest, uh, yeah. overseas investors or offshore investors are not um, being discouraged and they're, you know, wanting to come into this built to rent or as they call overseas multifamily product in Australia. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people often gloss over that fact. They discuss, yeah, MIT is an issue, mm. which of course it yes. is, but still most of these projects are funded by overseas um, investors. And if you actually look at what that means financially, it does surprise a lot of people. So if people don't, aren't fully aware, under MIT, if you invest in an office, if you hold an office asset under an MIT, you only are paying a 15% withholding tax, yes. or effectively an income tax. Mm. But in a built-to-rent space, you don't get that concession. So you have to, you're paying double that. Mm. So the withholding tax is 30%. And yet still, they're coming these in. investors yes. are investing in a built-to-rent space, knowing full well they're paying double the tax. So it's, for me, it speaks to two things. One, they have a lot of faith in this sector, which makes sense because it's the largest sector in the largest economy in the world. Yes. And it's a pretty good performing sector in the US. And the other thing is, I suspect they do think that the government's eventually going to change their change the policy on this because the policy doesn't really make a lot mm. of sense. So I suspect they they believe that that policy will change at some point, and they'd rather get in now when there's um, possibly less demand for these assets from domestic investors, mm-hmm. so less competition, less people they have to compete against. So they're getting in now on the ground floor, so to speak. So I think there's a lot of positives for 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 the sector, um, and I think it's only going to grow over the next over the next few years. It's interesting the two recent. We published stories, two recent uh, listings that came on in Melbourne, where whole apartment buildings, one of them in South Bank, was built, completed, 
but for the past two years, it's sat empty and it's fully furnished. So <laughs> they've now put the entire apartment building, yeah. empty apartment building. I forgot how many units were in there now on the market. And they're sort of saying, well, it could, um, I suppose you could be a service department operator who comes in and buys it. Um, or it could be a build to rent developer or build to rent operator um, who comes in and you've got a finished product. So there's not of that, um, you know, and it was completed two years ago and no one's moved in. It was never, I, I yeah, the it was interesting. The developer completed two years ago, furnished it and just left it. And then obviously they were waiting for the, the opportunity or something like that to sell to a build to rent operator. So, so it's strange. Yeah. Great. Com completed product. <laughs> it is. Fantastic. And these things, they're not, they're not going to take long to, to lease up, either, yeah. are they? Because there's such a dearth of um, uh, residential stock out there. I think every, every day I hear something about vacancy being below 1% for every major market in the country, yeah. and it's going through the roof. So, I mean, if you have an opportunity to buy a completely furnished building, I'm sure there'll be a lot of takers for it. Mm. Pricing, I imagine, will be quite strong. Real Capital Analytics is the authority on property deals, the players, and the trends that drive the commercial real estate investment markets. Having recorded over $20 trillion of commercial transactions, data is at the forefront of RCA's business. Now, the, I want to also look at the construction trends, which you covered in your report. Um, which sectors um, did we see, you know, the most activity and which sectors were the quietest um, when it comes to, you know, starting projects and what's in the pipeline and also what's been withdrawn? Yeah, again, it's not a lot of positive news mm -hmm. for construction because it is so it's so expensive. Cost of materials are through the roof. Um, cost of labour is through the roof. Immigration has really hurt the building industry. So most sectors are seeing uh, declines compared to last year in terms of um, the overall value of construction starts, with the exception of the office sector, I suppose. But that's pretty much because some of these, a couple of those projects have long been um, slated to, to begin this year, mm. such as Elastin Tower in, in Sydney or the Victoria Cross Development over in, in North Sydney. And of course, Triple Five Collins down in, I think Triple Five Collins down in Melbourne is um, under construction this year. Correct mm. if I'm wrong, but I will pass it like you do. <laughs> um, so there are some, mm. there are some offices that have been slated for a long time to start this year. So we did see uh, an increase in activity for the office sector. Um, but all the other ones are well down. Resi in particular, very, very low compared to last year. But even industrials down compared to last year. Um, industrials have been down the last couple of years. Mm. So, it, it, again, it's this pinch point, these supply chain issues, the cost of labour, cost of material, that's really is having a significant impact on, on construction. Um, and, again, until these things get sorted out, I think we're going to see a lot of projects just pause, just pause for a little bit. Until some of these things become a little bit less, uh, a little bit less expensive, and um, and everything settles down a bit, a bit more. It, it's it's quite interesting, you know, with the construction and with the with you know we're just talking about. Um, obviously, you were saying resi constructions are down. Um, it's a bit like I'm thinking chicken and the egg thing because we want to bring the migration mm. levels back up, and we're talking you know huge numbers, hundred ninety three, two fifty, two thirty thousand per year. Yeah, where are we going to put yeah. them? <laughs> so do we bring in the housing first or the immigration skilled labour first to to address this skill that's shortage? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? It's chicken and egg. Yes. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put yes. it. I mean, we, we need we need people to come in to build these yes. things, but we need people to build them for in order for people to have places to live when they come in. So, yeah. It's, uh, so I don't know. Like I said, it's turbulent. It is. It is. <laughs> it's all... Uh, 
it is it is difficult and it's like it's it is impacting every sector mm. as much as i'm saying the built-ins are really taken off at the moment it's also being hampered by construction issues so some of those fees that they investors did sort of 20 years 20 years mm. ago um two years ago they're probably up now the cost of construction is probably up 20 30 percent so it's squeezing very tight margins so there's no sector that's not going unpunished with these supply chain issues unfortunately mm. now i i think you know looking at what's happened this year um we obviously don't know uh, how the, the uh, 2023 will perform i suppose for australia at least we have our federal election has passed so now and the u.s midterms have passed but um yes it'd be certainly interesting times ahead for 2023 2024 but we still have the, the you know uh Russia, Ukraine, and hopefully China might uh, open its borders again or open its doors again. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, I'll give you a bit of a sneak peek. I'm just looking at our quarterly numbers, mm-hmm. our Q4 numbers. Yes. So Q4 traditionally takes up, makes up around probably around forty percent or thirty-five to forty percent of all transaction volumes in any given mm-hmm. year. Um, last year, Q4 we had around thirty billion dollars worth of transactions. Yes. So far in Q4, we've got two and a half. Wow. So that's pretty low. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the big deals that did take place this year, they would have started in 2021. Mm. Um, we're not likely to see, we don't have that many deals left from 2021 to settle or to, to be announced in Q4. So most of the deals that do get announced or closed in Q4 are going to be from this mm. year when the world was uh, did change quite significantly, the economy did change quite significantly. So I do suspect that Q4 is going to be a very slow quarter and it's going to be a real indication of what's to come. So if Q4 is low, yes. then it's all dried up pretty much. And at the moment, that's what it's looking mm. at. So That's a very surprising... It's, uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it's interesting, surprising and sort of floored me i I mean uh, a luck fortunate i didn't fall off the chair or anything like that but um well i didn't but it is quite interesting because i think it, you know in all my years in writing properties which is coming up to 20 years soon um normally yeah, that december yeah, period sure. yeah i'm getting old <laughs> um normally <laughs> we we approach this december obviously the upcoming holiday season is when all the deals are coming into close right because they think okay let's wrap this yeah. up we want to go on holidays. Um, yeah. So that's quite interesting. Indeed. Mm. All right. Yeah. Mm. So I think there's another three billion in the in the pipeline. So if that does all settle, then we're talking about five billion. But that's so so far below. I mean, even in 2020, Q4 was 15 billion, right. and you know we're a long way behind that. So in order to hit sort of long term averages, we need to have a very very strong um, Q4. And from what I can see, from what I hear, there's just not that much on the market that's going to bump push that needle mm. around you, you will get an influx of smaller deals sure that's great now they'll, they'll certainly boost the numbers but there's none of those massive deals that are taking place at the moment no. to really boost those numbers no i think so i think q4 is going to be the best indication of uh, of slowdown yeah absolutely uh, the, that preview that you just gave is quite um yeah it sort of uh interesting is the way to put it for me um of where we're headed um and i if that's mm. the way things are then the first quarter of 2023 will also be interesting too so 
um, and where we're headed. Yeah, indeed. Look, still a long way to go. Still six weeks mm-hmm. to go in the year, so these things can change. But like I said, that needs to, that's a very strong ramp up that we need, and I just don't hear that we have that much left in, on the market to, mm-hmm. to sell. So. And also, too, to the, you know, the U.S. inflation just keeps going up. And from, you know, I read from um, Stephen Bartholomew, you know, in Fairfax papers, and he just kept saying that, um, you know, the U.S. is exporting its inflation to Australia and the rest of the world. So we have to keep right. raising interest <laughs> rates. So um, and I talk yeah. to different economists and they're saying, oh, no, it's going to stop at 3.1. No, it's going to stop at 3.8. And now I think ANZ today came up and said that the way came out with the research that said there's no way interest rates increases are slowing or there's going to be a pause. Um, so it is indeed a roller coaster ride to the end. It, it is. <laughs> and then a roller yeah, coaster ride to start a, 2023. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think 2023 is going to give any respite from um, from turbulence or, or roller coasters. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen at all. And no, I mean, you're dead right. The US is exporting inflation. And if the US continues there, Increase inflation, uh, interest rates at such mm. a um, rapid pace. The rest of the world has to follow yes. suit because um, otherwise, investment just gets taken out of the country because you get better better rates of interest in in the mm. US. So investors remove their capital from from Australia and go to the US. So we kind of have to compete, otherwise we end up losing so much um, foreign investment. Absolutely, yeah. And it does it does. I mean, for in terms of commercial property, you know, the US is one of our largest sources of offshore yes. capital. It dukes it out with Singapore as so the who's number mm. one. And that purchasing power parity just keeps kind of ebbing and flowing. And I'm not sure what the dollar 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 exchange rate is at the moment, probably around 67, 68. Mm. But again, if the US continues to increase the interest rates at such a rapid rate, that'll bounce around. And it just gives US a bit US investors a bit more of an edge mm. over domestic players. Or indeed any any investor that's uh, in that, US dollars uh, is denominated in, in, in US dollar. Mm. Yeah. So it could be a it could be an advantage for US investors buying up commercial property in Australia. And that means we might have a big year next year. Who knows? Again, like I said, it's tough. more questions than answers. <laughs> well, it's certainly in, I think you're, for analysts such as yourself, you're in the hot seat. So oh, hopefully I'll have you back um, at the beginning of next year to uh, give us some interesting, inter- uh, you know, sort of insights into uh, what's happened in Q4. Well, I hope so, yeah, and um, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting ride towards the end of the year, so we could have an awful lot to talk about next year. Yeah, for sure. Not that we haven't had an awful lot to talk about this year. Well, we, well yeah, we? We, we, uh, we didn't anticipate all of this to happen. I mean, when we first started uh, talking about this, interest rates were still 0.1. We were just, uh, our main focus was mm. coming out of lockdown, um, coming, you know, and yep. all that, and now it's totally different. So, um. Just a few short months, yeah. So the, the world moves fast these days, doesn't it? It does, it does. Sometimes I just feel like I just need a pause somewhere. I feel like I need to go on a holiday somewhere. You know, one of those retreats where you throw your phone into the box and they don't give it to you and then you sit there for a whole week and not know what's going on. Um, but I think that's a good idea. Yeah. But the, you, you'll miss so much. But then some of it may have sort of itself, I right? did you something know, like that well. in 2019 <laughs> and then I came out of that oh, and then they said... And then I was at uh, the airport in Singapore and sorry, in Tokyo. And then everyone was wearing masks. And I thought, oh yeah, that's Japan. They always wear masks. And I got to Singapore and everyone was wearing <laughs> masks. And I thought, this is weird. They don't all do this here. And I asked the flight attendant, she said, oh, there's a new virus going around called COVID. I went, oh, I didn't read anything about this. <laughs> so maybe it's not a good idea to be in a retreat. You might come out and you find it's an apocalypse or something has happened. Um, I'll just go straight back to the retreat if that happened. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
All right. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for uh, joining me on Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. It's always a pleasure. It was my absolute pleasure, Nelson. Thank you so much for having me again.